Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. And my guest today on Skype is Rabbi Alon Joseph. And it's so good to have you. And um, uh, Alon, our topic today is resilience. And somebody sent this in because it went out on quite a few Facebooks yesterday, Facebook pages and uh, sites. And this uh, quote came through from Ernest Hemingway. The world breaks everyone, and afterwards, many are strong at the broken places. Sue, it's so nice to be back with you again. Uh, I have missed our, our interactions. I'm not sure when our last show was, um, but I am so looking forward to spending this hour with you and our listeners and sharing some, hopefully, some beautiful ideas and learning and growing from each other. So thank you so much for having me on the show again. I'm so honored. It's such a pleasure to have you. You know that we were last on in March 2020. I think it was perhaps just before or just after COVID started. So let's face it, we've had to build up a lot of resilience since then, which we will discuss. Um, I just want to tell you that Alon is a, a young person that I consider a friend, and he is someone that I really admire and always enjoy spending time with him. Um, he is a friend of my of my family as well, and we all learn so much from each other. Um, he runs a, a, a group called Love Your Part, which is for companies. Um, live Your Part, sorry, it should be Love Your Part. Live Your Part for group for companies, synagogues, churches, mosques, private. Whoever wants him to come and teach them values gratitude, um, human capital. He's a human capital ex expert. He knows a lot about the humans. He knows a lot about cultural development based on uh, the value of gratitude. And he's also uh, um, very good at, at management and culture creating in the companies. Um, I have attended a couple of his sessions a few years ago, and I was amazed at the interaction that you managed to actually engender from such a mixed group of cultures in in that particular session that I that I was in. Um, you definitely do energize people, and that is one of the strengths that you actually bring to your workshops. Tell me a bit about these workshops. So it's been an amazing journey. I've been very, very blessed. And uh, as you said, Live Your Part is all about helping people live their part. We, uh, we, you know, when we look at companies, it's all about how to make, how to, you know, how do companies succeed through having good staff, through high staff engagement. And what creates staff engagement is having a strong culture. And when we looked at culture, we realized that values create your culture. And the values that we looked at that had the highest of it was the value of you. You know, in life, if you want something, you have to do it. No one can do it for you. And it's about taking responsibility. And, we, and I'm sure we'll share a lot about this today. It's about taking responsibility for ourselves. Once we realize that it's my life and I've got to run it, no one can do it for me. 
and I've got to be accountable for my own actions and decisions. And that's the value of you. And when we look at that value of you, we realize how powerful we are and how great we are. Our ability to, to succeed is just incredible. And the value of gratitude, well, we've spoken so much about that. And gratitude has the ability to transform companies. It really does. It transforms our lives. It makes us happier human beings. And it really is one of those values that has so much to it. We're actually um, busy launching at the moment um, an incredible app called Enjoy. Um, it's from it's from the States, and I've partnered with them. And we're running a pilot, a pilot project of 15 days of gratitude. Um, and if anyone wants to join us, on these fifth, it's a 15 day gratitude challenge. It takes five minutes a day. It's all it is, but it will transform your life. And if you're interested, you can contact me on my email address on alon at liveyourpart.com. And I'm happy to, to sign you up on it and join us on the journey of gratitude and let's change the world together. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. And uh, for that, you know, for those kind words, they I know where they come from, and I really appreciate them tremendously. So thank you. You know, Alon, I, I can't help thinking that this 15 days of gratitude and only for five minutes a day is going to be launched at such an important time. I think there's so much fatigue, COVID fatigue at the moment. And, uh, you know, we, we are tending to, as Martin Seligman says, catastrophize a lot so uh, some people are saying oh my gosh we're not going to go away in december the third word away i mean the next wave was going to hit who knows how bad it could be worse and you know um we need to actually look at resilience and what is resilience because let's face it everyone experiences challenges in their lives some worse than others and each change affects each of us differently uh, and yet, it's quite amazing what I have seen in this COVID time, that generally people have adapted over time to the restrictions that are needed, the you know the, the laws that have come in. What do you think? So, you know, when we talk about resilience, there's so much research on it and so many beautiful ideas. And I was looking up the definition of it, just to, you know, just to try and understand it better. And it says that, one of the beautiful ones I saw was the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. And I love that. I thought that's such a beautiful way of looking at it. You know, if you, if you ask everyone in the world, have you ever encountered a difficulty? I think everyone would say yes. We all encounter difficulties. You, you'll never meet one person who has not encountered some form of difficulty, whether it might be on a personal level or, you know, or a family. We all go through difficulties generally even on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And resilience is the capacity to recover from it. Now, that's an important point because what we're discussing is that resilience is not about negating the feelings or it's not about saying that I can't feel these emotions as I'm going through it. That's important. I've got to accept the emotions. I've got to be real. I'm a human being. I've got to be real with myself. It's okay to feel these emotions. But the question is how long do those emotions stay with us? Mm-hmm. What do those emotions do to us? And the capacity to recover is the resilience and how quickly we, and how quickly we can recover from that. And why do we want to recover? Because we want to be successful. We want to achieve the most that we have in life. And therefore, the more, if, if I'm going to ruminate on the past and I'm going to let it take hold of me, I, I won't have the ability and the capacity to move forward in order to achieve the things that I want in life. Mm-hmm. 
And therefore, resilience is about the ability to recover from the difficulties. But the question is, how do we recover from that? How do we, it's one thing going through them, and it's another thing saying, okay, now I need to recover from it. And I think there are those two stages. There's the, there's the, there's the acknowledgement of what's actually happening, and then there's the tools and the skills to say, okay, now how do I get out of the situation? What do I need in order to help me um, become resilient? And we're going to get back to that shortly. But, you know, Cheryl Sandberg said, and I think this is actually, you know, from Facebook. She's from the Facebook. And she had lost her her husband very, very suddenly. And she wrote that book, Option B, which was amazing. Uh, And she said, you're not born with a fixed amount of resiliency. It's like a muscle. You can build it and draw on it when you need it. And she went on to say the seeds of resilience are planted in the way we process the negative events in our lives. And right now, we're going to hear a very short YouTube by Brené Brown on empathy. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time, because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I'm back with uh, Lorne Joseph. And uh, Lorne, what did you think about that? You know, I brought that in especially because 
resilience actually goes with empathy because reaching out to other people builds our own resilience. What do you think? Oh, I love So you know how much I love your clips. Um, and I just, I love her humor as well. I love how she puts things across and I loved her points. You're a hundred percent correct. It's all about those, those connections. But you know what stood out for me, as I mentioned before, you know, in our business, we focus a lot about the value of you. And when I was listening to that and I was thinking about, about the connection and about the feeling with other people, as much as that's so important, it's so important to have that same thing with ourselves. Do we empathize with ourselves? Do we connect with ourselves? It's so great connecting with other people. But do we have that same philosophy, you know, the words that you would tell your friend, if your friend needed that empathy and you empathize with your friend, do you give yourself that same advice? Do you speak to yourself the way that you would speak to someone who you love? So and, and I think that's such a powerful point that, that we have to have that empathy. We have to have that, that connection. And her points are so powerful when it comes to that. You're at empathy and resilience and being there for other people. But we also have to realize that we're there for ourselves. And we have to take control of ourselves as well. And we have to give ourselves the ability to go through those. Just like we would be there and we would listen and we would connect with them. And as she said, don't try and make it better. Just listen. Don't respond. Just build a connection. Do we take that same advice for ourselves? Do we internalize that in terms of our own resilience? That is so true, you know, and I can't help thinking that you do the most incredible work um, with Hatsola. And I've, I've heard from so many people how you have helped them through real trauma and you, your, your way of empathizing and, and explaining what is actually happening um, takes away so much of the terror, often of loss, of um, of terrible illness, or whatever it is that you're being called into. So when you say that we need to give ourselves that same sense of empathy, do you feel you do that to yourself? <laughs> no. Why would I do that to myself? <laughs> Have you ever listened to our own advice, Sue? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm giving you that advice. Please start doing that. I right will try my now. best. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, you were mentioning to me about uh, Martin Seligman and how he went from um, learned helplessness because he, he says that he, he is a depressive and he is a pessimist. He openly admits it. He's a professor of psychology. And um, he openly admits it on how he came to actually look at positive psychology. Tell me a bit about that because that's very much part of resilience. So Martin Seligman has been one of, I would probably call him my guru when it comes to positive psychology. He's one of the founders of, of, of positive psychology. And, you know, it's very much based on Viktor Frankl's work, as as you know, you know, power of the self. But his journey to it was so interesting because his journey started with learned helplessness. And learned helplessness was the belief that a person is powerless to control what happens to them. We start to feel helpless. And what happens when a person, when a person, the way he puts this is because it is not something that anyone is born with, no one believes at birth that they can't control their surroundings. But what happens is, is that through learned behavior, 
we become conditioned through experiences where a person actually believes that they've no control over this over their circumstances. And when a person, as soon as a person believes that we cannot control something, then we believe we are helpless. And if I'm helpless, that's that he says is the start to depression and to many other psychological disorders. And through his studies of learned helplessness, he said it's something that you can learn, that we feel helpless. We feel like I've tried this so many times. Say, for example, I don't know, a person wants to lose weight, right? A person can say, I've constantly failed at losing weight. I've tried different diets. I've tried different exercise routines. Then a person's going to start to think I'm never going to lose the weight, right? No matter what I do, I'm never going to lose weight. I've put so much time and effort into this. And I've seen no results, so what's the point of trying? That's the effect of learned helplessness, that we convince ourselves that I cannot do anything because I've tried it and I'm not getting anywhere. So we some you know what, what he calls it, he calls it what the hell effect, right? And he says that oh, what's the point of it? It's, I've gone down it, I've tried it, right? Um he says, for example, a person would have like one piece of cake and say, Oh, that's it, I've messed up. Why, why continue? I'm just right, and then the person just goes all wild on it. And that concept of learned helplessness, he says, is so dangerous because I can convince myself of that. And his journey was to go from there into positive psychology to say, hold on a sec, I actually have the ability to take control of myself. I have the ability to take control of my mind and to determine the outcome that I want. I cannot change the situation. But I can change how I respond to it, and I can change the lessons I'm going to learn from it. And as I said, that's very similar to Viktor Frankl, as you as you know so well, as I'm sure that you'll you know that you can speak about. But that's his concept. His whole concept is that a person must learn to take control of themselves, to have that ability of a growth mindset, to have the ability of that. I can change it, but I have to have I have to create a deliberate and intentional choice in myself that I'm going to grow through this experience and not that the experience is going to destroy me. It's about learning to take control. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Alon, but I actually think that tying that in with COVID is very, this COVID time is so important because we can definitely see it in different groups of people there's that learned helplessness and everyone's talking about, oh my gosh, when is this third wave going to hit us? And if it does, we're probably not going to survive. It's going to be worse. And instead of actually saying, well, right now, we're not in that third, that, not third, that, that wave that they're saying is coming. Um, we're not in that. So what are we doing with this time now that can actually help us cope? With the bad times that might be coming. Yeah, I love that. You know, so what What do you think, Sue? Have you got any strategies? And then I'll share mine with you. <laughs> okay. You know, what I have experienced in this last uh, time, since the beginning of COVID, has been initially, it was, it was almost like the stages of grief. There was that terrible denial at first. This can't possibly be happening. Happened, you know, it came from China. Why should we have it here? You know, and uh, and and just there was that disbelief, and then there was almost that learnt helplessness of saying, "Oh my gosh, this is what it is. Everything's going to fail. Nothing's going to work." 
then gradually people began to look at new ways of actually coping. And those new ways of coping have changed the world that we live in. You know, I'm even thinking of looking at you on Skype on my screen, which is wonderful, but I'm so used to being with you in a studio. And yet look how we've adapted to what has what is required of us. So, you know, it was either adapting or, or giving up. And I would say that most people have learned to adapt. And so that learned helplessness actually soon changed into, okay, what can we do? The people have not moved out of that learned helplessness, have actually become very toxic to themselves, to their families, and certainly to their workplaces. What is your idea? Yeah, so, you know, it's so interesting you mentioned that. So, you know, when I was thinking about it, if we look around us in the world, we have so many models for resilience. Nature has resilience built into it. Mm -hmm. A wind comes, a tree can sway this way and that way, but it's got strong roots. And as soon as the wind passes, it's back to its normal state. Um, our body, we get sick. Our body's designed to fight that illness. And, right, a person gets the flu or you get a cold, your body's designed to fight that. So our body intrinsically, right, and the world around us is a model for us to learn from to say things are not always going to go the way that I want to. Things are not always going to turn out the way that I would like them to. But it's how I'm going to deal with it. And if I look around at nature and the world, what is it teaching me to, te right, to help me deal with the things that go wrong in my own life? The, I, I, I would like things to go in a certain way and they don't. Or a situation happens to me and it's, and it's beyond my control. What are the skills that I can have? You know, it reminds me of a story once. There was, there was a young lady that I was coaching and we were discussing about resilience and about taking control of ourselves. And I shared with her a little idea that I once came across in one of my trainings. I did some NLP training and I, and I came across this beautiful idea. And it was all about cause and effect. And it said when someone does something to you, you have a choice. Either you're going to be an effect of it or a cause or you're going to be able to take control of it. And an effect of it is that you let that person take control of your emotions. You let that situation take control of you. So, for example, what happened was I saw her a week later and she said to me, you'll never believe what happened. She said, you know, I went away for two days and I came back. And one of the people in my department was trying to get my clients away from me. And I was furious. So I said to her, what did you do? You know, how did you respond? So she said, you know, at first I was thinking my natural response would have been to throw a tantrum, to start screaming and shouting. How can you do this? And why are you doing this? And go to my boss and say, you can't believe what this person's doing to me. And I would have been on that side the whole day. I would have gone the whole day. And I said, how much work would you have got done? She said, absolutely nothing. She said, I would have gone home. I would have complained to everyone. You can't believe what this person in my department is trying to do to me. And I would have just been so irate and all consuming. So I said to her, okay, so what did you do? You know, I'm, I'm waiting for her to get to the, to, to the punchline. So what did you do? You know, I thought about what you taught me. I thought about the idea of taking control. And what is the best approach that I should have to this? So I went to my manager. I told my manager what was happening. I was away. This is what's happening. The manager said, thank you so much for bringing to that, you know, this to my attention. I'll deal with it. And I said, and what happened? She says, I went to my desk. I continued normally. I had a very productive day. I went to gym after work. 
I went home. I had I had a beautiful time with my family, and I managed to take control of my life. I did not let the situation take control of me. And I think that's that's what we're saying about resilience. It's that it's the capacity to recover. Things are going to happen. Things are not going to go the way we want. But how do we respond to those situations? How do we take control of our lives? Now, sometimes things happen to us that are horrific. And sometimes we go through experiences that no one should ever have to go through. But we still have to know that at the end of the day, it's our lives and it's our emotions and it's our choice how we're going to respond and how long we're going to be in that state for. Because no matter how hard it is, we are designed with the ability to to be these optimists inside of us. And that's what Martin Seligman talks about. You know, he says we have these voices in our minds that we have to listen to when something doesn't go the way you want it. What's the, what does that little voice in your mind say to you? What are those little voices telling you? So true. And, you know, when you say that, uh, I can't help thinking we have so many role models. You know, you only have to look at the survivors of the Holocaust or, or other uh, uh, genocide, we, we, or different survivors, and how they have moved out of these terrible situations and formed lives, decided to move into a place of moving forward, of actually embracing life within the pain that they will feel for life always. And yet they have gone on to create new families, new lives. It always absolutely astounds me. And then something you said about nature just made, it, it triggered a thought to me. I never forget seeing a very bad, at, at a nature reserve, seeing an incredible bad fire. And this fire just wiped out everything. All the trees, the grass, everything was wiped out. And oh my gosh, after the first rains, little sprouts of grass started coming up and little pieces of tree, you know, suddenly dead, dead trees suddenly got little leaves on them. And I thought, my gosh, what is it showing me? It's showing me that the top might be dead, but the roots are still alive. And that's something we need to remember. Our roots are there no matter how damaged we might feel, no matter how shocked or the shock that life might have given us. We're going to be listening to a very short YouTube by Rabbi Jonathan, Lord Jonathan Sachs. And um, Alon has just reminded me that it was actually Rabbi Sachs' first Yotzeit yesterday. And he continues to teach us everything, every day. Thank you so much, Craig. People often confuse optimism and hope. They sound similar, but in fact, they're very different. Optimism is the belief that things are going to get better. Hope is the belief that if we work hard enough together, we can make things better. It needs no courage, just a certain naivety to be an optimist. It needs a great deal of courage to have hope. No Jew, knowing what we do about history and our own past, so often written in tears, can be an optimist. But no Jew who is a true Jew can ever give up hope. And that is why Judaism is, for me, 
the voice of hope in the conversation of humankind. And hope is what transforms the human situation. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I'm back with Alon Joseph, and we've just been listening to Rabbi Sachs. And Alon, what do you think about hope and optimism? So, you know, it's so interesting, Sue, that... Martin Seligman, this is the this is the foundation of all of his research, the concept of optimism and hope. And what he says is something so – he does a comparison of world religions, actually. And what he finds is, 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 is very similar things that have been found in previous generations as well. That he said when a person is generally attached to a religion, um, a person is generally more optimistic. He said, for example, if you look at, at – countries or people that have been persecuted and you find that built into it, he says, for example, in Judaism built into it is, is this, is this concept of hope and optimism that it might be bad now, but it will get better in the future. There's a reason behind it. And he said, that gives us hope. He said, if you do not have that in your life to realize that there is a reason behind something, then what's going to help you to get through it? What's going to motivate you and what's going to give you that guidance to help you find meaning in that situation. So he, he actually says that optimism and hope are quite, are quite similar with, you know, with that about that we have to make it better. We have to have this belief within ourselves that it might be bad now, but there's a reason behind it that if I can learn that lesson, I can turn a tragedy into something that will help me, that will, you know, that will give me the ability to grow. And, and it's, a, it's a very interesting point. I was discussing last week in a business training, and I asked, I asked the people in the training, I said that, has anybody ever experienced or – sorry, I asked them, has anybody not experienced any type of suffering? And they all said, no, everyone experiences suffering. We all experience challenges. And I said to them, why do you think that is? Why do you think we have to go through challenges? Why do you think we have to go through rough situations? And they each gave different inputs, but it was so interesting to hear that they all said, well, that's part of growth. Because if you if you fail along the way, your failures are going to help you to achieve your success. You can't become successful without failing. Failure is part of the success because it helps you to, it helps you to identify the areas of growth within yourself. It helps you to identify where your weaknesses are and where you can work to become better. So we shouldn't view them as failures we should view them as opportunities of growth. And I think that's what optimism is as well, is that the optimist is not someone. Martin Seligman is very clear on this. He says the optimist is not someone who's in this bubble that walks around and says, oh, we live in such a beautiful world. It's so nice. He says that's not an optimist. He says an optimist says, yes, the situation is bad. This is not a good situation, but it will get better. I believe that it will get better, that that's the hope. I can make it better. I can learn from it. And I know this is not permanent. I know that this is temporary. What I'm feeling now and what I'm experiencing now is only temporary. So true. Uh, you know, I've been forgetting to say that if you want to send any messages, you can on SMS 34519. You know, the other thing about that, you know, you say that um, this is temporary. Uh, Martin Seligman also okay. talks about catastrophic thinking and um, and realistic thinking and uh, you know the worst scenario and the best scenario 
What do you know about that? Oh, that's a, it's an amazing thing. You know, Martin Seligman developed this test that um, he calls it the optimism and pessimism test. And it, it, it's, it's pretty much a test that you can do, and it helps you work out where you are on the scale. Right. Um, and I used to administer this in businesses. And it was the most amazing thing to see when it, it was a test that he said that you cannot jippo this test. You cannot find a way around this test. Um, and it was an amazing thing that you see how true it is and how people's personalities come out on it. Um, and, and I used to administer it and it was there to help people to become better. I used it as a management tool and for staff in sales. And it was so interesting to see. I, I remember once I, I used it in one of the businesses and I was sitting with the CEO and I went through the people and I said, there's a guy over here you've got to be very careful of. When times are good, he'll be great. But when times are bad, he's not going to work for you. He said, no, he's a great manager. I love him. He does incredible work. I said, okay. About three months later, the CEO phones me. He was a friend of mine. He says, how did you know? I said to him, what do you mean? How did I know? What, what, what are you on about? He says, how did you know he wasn't going to work out? I said, can you take who? He says, you remember that manager that you told me about? I said, yes. He says, well, we went through a bad patch and he was a nightmare. He said it was just, it was a disaster to deal with him. How did you know? I said, I didn't, I'm just telling you what his personality was. I'm just telling you how he looked at the world and how he perceived the world around him to be that if something's bad, it would just get worse. He didn't have the ability to learn from something. He doesn't have the ability to see the good where he is at the moment. He can change if he wants to. But where he is at the moment, when something happens, he will catastrophize it. He'll make it worse. Mm -hmm. He'll build up this image in his mind of, oh, this is the beginning of a tsunami, right, when it was just a little drop of water. <laughs> and, and he says that that's based on, it's so interesting how he understands human nature and how he understands the human psychology and how the mind works, that we have to listen. And he, he, bases, he bases it all on that. On what are these little voices saying in us? How do we, he calls it A, B, C, D, E. Adversity happens. That's the A. What is the B? The B is your belief. What belief do you hold within yourself? And that, and that is the optimism or the, or the pessimism. And the C is what's the cause of that. So depending on your belief, you're either going to be the optimist or the pessimist. That's the C. And yeah. the D, and the D is to dispel that. If you, if you, if you're going to catastrophize it, then the D comes back to say, is this really true? Wow. And we'll, this is 101.9 Chai FM. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 Chai FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and I'm back with Alon Joseph and our time always goes so quickly. But, you know, what I wanted to say is that um, Martin Seligman also said that it's sometimes we need to write our own obituary. And in that, we need to ask, what did I contribute to a meaningful life? And um, and he says, and what would I like my grandchildren to think about me? That's good, isn't it? <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, I was saying to someone the other day, Sue, Someone, someone said to me about leaving a legacy and I said, no, we don't leave a legacy. We have to live a legacy. 
Because wow. when you live your legacy, then that's what you're automatically leave behind. But if you're always thinking about, I need to leave a legacy, that's something that you're planning on doing in the future. But it's not. It's about living your legacy today, making whatever you want to achieve. You have to take hold of that today because that's what you're going to be creating your legacy with. So don't think about the future. Think about what you can do today to make a difference. That is so true. It really is. And before we end, I actually wanted to just say also that um, he spoke about PERMA. Now, do you want to say what that means? He's PERMA about and flow. No, you don't. Okay, you're pointing at me. PERMA, he said, is um, it's something that we can actually. It's measurable. It's something we can learn. And he talks about PERMA being positive emotions. E for engagement. The positive emotions are the happiness, the joy, the comfort we might feel. The engagement is, he talks about flow, being one with the music of life. What is happening around us? Are we engaged with life now? And that can be measured, he said. And then, of course, um, the, the R is relationships. Can you have better relationships? Um, Alona's pointing upwards to me, so obviously that's right. And then <laughs> the M is meaning and purpose in our life. And this he, he definitely says, and Viktor Frankl says, Rabbi Sachs says, uh, anybody that you actually feel is a teacher, a good teacher would say this. And that is belonging to and serving something you think is bigger than you are. So something beyond yourself to reach out to others to get beyond yourselves. And then the the A is accomplishment. And actually recognizing what have we accomplished? What has helped us move along? And saying to ourselves, well done, you have moved forward. That I think is so important. What do you think? So you know I want I want to end off with this today Sue because you mentioned on that. In 2005 Martin Seligman did a test um, and what they did is they asked people for six months to focus on three good things every day. That's what they did, you wow. know, and, and, and it was all about focusing on the good. And what they noticed after the six months when they did it, they found, they found that people who did this had incredibly high levels of gratitude, incredibly high levels of happiness, less depression, better relationships. Their lives were just so much more fulfilled just by doing three good things a day. That was it. You know, and as I mentioned at the beginning, I think that's what this app did that we're launching at the moment. You know, as I mentioned, if people want to join us, please send me your email. And that's what we're doing. It's for 15 days focusing on the good that we have in our lives. The more we focus on the good, the happier we become. And the happier we become, the more successful we will be. We can take control of ourselves. We can teach ourselves to have resilience. We can teach ourselves that things will happen. But it's up to us, we, that's that value of you, that I can take control of my life to achieve what I want. This is my life. I need to live it to the best of my ability. Things are going to happen to me that I might not like. I'm going to experience things that are going to be unpleasant and uncomfortable and painful. And that's part of life. But I do not have to wallow in it. I have the ability and the strength, just like nature and the world around us. I have the strength to find within myself, to find that good. And to come out on top and to use this to have the ability to teach others and to teach myself and to help me live the most fulfilled and meaningful life. 
And that's the power of resilience. That is so, so true. And you know, when you say that, I actually believe that by being authentic in our resilience and in ourselves, we do give out a certain aura. And one of my uh, guests this year said that even if you don't have a few cents or a few rands to give to a beggar on the side of the road, give him a smile. And, you know, it's very difficult to smile beyond a mask. But I have started doing that since she said that. And because we don't always carry change on us. And so I've, I've acknowledged them with a wave. And I cannot begin to tell you the reaction I'm getting back. You know, some of them clap. Some of them give me a thumbs up. Some of them give me a sign of a prayer to say thank you. But it, it's not the money that was counting. It was the attitude that counted there and the inclusion of saying, I recognize your humanity and I am human too. So, you know, research shows, so it's fascinating that when you smile at someone, you have the ability to affect a thousand people every single day because your smile will be passed on to someone else that will be passed on to someone else. That we do have the ability to change the world. You know, as I say, one thank you can change the world. One smile has the ability to change the world. Just because you can't help someone, greet them, say thank you, smile at them. They'll smile back. That smile will be passed on and passed on throughout the whole day. Wonderful. Alon, thank you so much for being on my program with me. We do have to wrap up. It's been wonderful having you. And on that note, let's keep smiling. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Craig, for keeping us on air.